0: Let's take our Bibles this evening and turn to 1 John in chapter number 1, if you would find your place there. I'd like to ask you also, I'm supposed to start a revival this Sunday through Wednesday in Lakewood, Washington. Lakewood Baptist Temple, Pastor Josh Canuff is there. Looking forward to preaching that meeting, so please pray for that. If you would uh, do so, uh, that would be a real blessing, of course. Brother Ted will be preaching Sunday morning, and Brother Tom Brewer on Sunday night. I'm excited for you to get to hear both of these men, of course. And uh, then also next Wednesday night, Brother Andrew Albert will be preaching, so I know you'll be well fed from the Word of God, and so I'm excited for you to hear from these men. Please pray for that, that meeting there. Okay, so First John, I've been looking forward to starting this, and uh, just had a real long runway to get to it the whole summer, and, um, and even just a handful of messages, Wednesday nights, of course, a lot of other things going on, and so um, First John is where we're going to be here tonight. And uh, we're working on the theme "Love God's Way," so we'll talk about that here a little bit as we get into it. All right. So, First John chapter one, verse one: <clears throat> "That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands." have handled of the word of life for the life was manifested and we have seen it now, now pay close attention to what he's saying here is it in parentheses you see that it's parenthetical for the life was manifested for the life was manifested and we have seen it everybody catching that we have seen the life well, how do you see that Okay. For the life was manifested, and we have seen it, and bear witness, and show unto you that eternal life which was with the Father, and was manifested unto us. All right, is everybody still getting this right here? All right, so he's, <laughs> I mean, this is powerful when you take it in. I know that's what preaching's for. But it, it wouldn't hurt you if you got it even while you're reading. All right, let's go, let's go back to verse number two. For the life was manifested and we have seen it and bear witness and show, you, uh, show unto you that eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested unto us. That eternal life was with the Father. Am I, am I reading that right? That eternal life was with the Father and was manifested unto us. Then he goes back to the eyewitness account in verse number 3 again. Uh, That which we have seen and heard, declare we unto you, that ye also may have, what's the next word? Fellowship with us, and truly are what? Fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And these things write we unto you, that your joy may be, what? Full. Full. All right, now I meant to tell you that this is all one sentence. Verses one through four. It literally is all one long sentence. Don't you love long sentences? If you're an English teacher, you maybe don't, but this is an inspired long sentence. So there's no critiquing it. All right so for the series title we're actually just going to use our our theme this year and it's and most likely I I don't foresee given the number of Wednesdays even that we're going to be together for the rest of this year that we're going to finish this um, in this year. We're going to continue on and so our, our theme for you know this year is love God's Way and, and certainly that is emphasized here in the book of John, though I'm going to submit to you that love is not the major theme, but it, it's not the predominant theme, but it is a major theme in the book of 1 John. As we'll see here, we'll make a case that way. So here's title. Here's the first title of, sorry. Here's sermon number one title. <laughs> oh, mercy. I hope this isn't a long sermon. Okay. <laughs> You're in good company. You are in good company. Don't forsake the fellowship of those who have taught you to be faithful to Jesus. Don't forsake the fellowship of those who have taught you to be faithful to Jesus. I thought about another subtitle, it'd be this. Don't forsake the fellowship that lasts forever for a bunch of fools. Okay, so you take your pick, whichever one you like. Don't forsake the fellowship of, that, of those that last forever for a bunch of fools. You're in good company. You're in real, I can't even begin to tell you tonight, we're in good company. Really, really good company. May God bless the reading of His Word as you're seated. We're going to consider this text. Our theme, as you know, I'm saying it for the sake of our guest. I hope that as members of the church, you're familiar with this verse out of chapter four and verse number 11. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. Beloved, 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 right? Beloved, if God so loved us, and he he does... If God so, you hear the emphasis? If God so loved us, now that's got a context and we'll get, we're getting to it in a few months. If God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. If God so loved us, in other words, we are, we have experienced his love. And so as those who have experienced his love, then we ought in turn then to extend his love to others. Okay, we've experienced it, let's extend it. That's the theme, one of the themes that certainly runs through the, the, this epistle of the Apostle John. The verb uh, love that's in our, in our text there in 1 John 4.11, agapao, agapa- oh, you, you would know the, the noun agape. Uh, you don't even have no Greek to know agape. Agape is a pretty popular word, isn't it? I mean, it j- just means unconditional love. Uh, There's other words that are used in the New Testament about love, but this is the strongest word. It'd be agape. Well, this verb form of the word love is used 142 times in the New Testament. It's used most, listen to this, it's used most uh, in the Gospel of John. It's used 27 times in the Gospel. So we're looking at the epistle of John, five chapters, right? And so the Gospel of John is obviously much larger, and and so... um, Uh, 28 chapters, and it's used 27 times in the Gospel of John. The book of 1 John, the epistle, the letter, epistle means letter. The letter of 1 John, it uses this verb love 17 times in five chapters. It's second on the list. I've got a a program that that breaks it down as to how many times this word is used actually in the book of 1 John. I believe there's there's 105 words, 105 different Greek words that are used in the Gospel of John. 17 times of, of the 105 words that are used, it's the word love. 17 times the word love shows up. Are you following what I'm saying here? 17. So it's second on the list of all the New Testament. So here's a little bitty book that uses love a lot. Okay, that's the main point you're supposed to get right there. It says you're using the word love a lot. The noun, okay, we're not done yet. The noun, okay, the noun, the noun love shows up most often in 1 John in the New Testament. It's used 116 times in the New Testament total, but it's used 14 times in John. John is number one, 1 John, First John the epistle is number one on the list. It's used 14 times. Second on the list is where we were last Wednesday night, and that would be 1 Corinthians, and most of those times are found in chapter number 13. All right, so the point here is that John is truly emphasizing The the subject, the very important subject, in fact, Jesus said it this way, by this shall all men know that you're my disciples because you have dynamic preaching. Is that what he said? No. Uh, By this shall all men know that you're my disciples because you have large buildings. No. By this shall all men know that you're my disciples because you run buses. No, not necessarily. By this shall all men know that you're my disciples because you love one another. That's how they know. That's how they know. That's how they know that. Man, this this place is filled with love. I could tell it right when I walked in the building that these people genuinely love one another. If that wasn't the case as we walked in the building, then let's start over. Because that ought to be the case as people walk in the building, is that they love one another. Okay, so this short book is filled with many references to God's love and, and about God, watch this God's love to us, but then also in turn, our love, of course, for one another. All right, now, we often struggle with God's love. Now, I'm glad God doesn't struggle with loving us. He he can't do otherwise. Now, we give him plenty of reasons not to. And yet, God's love is steady. Listen, he can't love you anymore because his love is perfect. And so obviously he won't love you any less. Now, our love is like this. Out, right? That's our love. That's our style of love. We struggle, and we even struggle with God's love. Um, D.L. Moody, evangelist, said this I know of no truth in the whole Bible that ought to come home to us with such power and tenderness as that of the love of God. And yet, there's no truth in the Bible that Satan would so much love to blot out. For more than 6,000 years, Satan has been trying to persuade men that God does not love them. I love the way that the lady's song ended, that if if you're doubting, I don't remember how they exactly said it, but basically this, if you're doubting that God loves you, he still does. Did I get that part right? He still does love you. No, 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 wait a minute. You're not left out of that. He loves you. Let's say that uh, Charles Spurgeon was walking with a friend there in England, and he, and he saw a weather vane on top of a barn, you know, as the wind would blow, and it's changing around. And on the side of the weather vane, it said this, God is love. And Mr. Spurgeon said, I don't think, I don't agree with the, with the message of that. That's kind of communicating that God's love is always changing. His friend said, no, Mr. Spurgeon, that's not what what my intent is. It's this. It's this way. No matter which way the wind is blowing, God still loves you. In other words, no matter what you're going through here tonight. Now, this is not the message, but you've got to get this before we move into the message. No matter what you're going through tonight, no matter what way the wind is blowing in your life, no matter what you've done, God still loves you. He does. He does. We need to be often, I think, reminded of that. But our love is fickle. But biblical love is not that way. John is writing to help them understand solid biblical love, unconditional love. He's writing to help them understand in, in a word, the word fellowship. Now that word fellowship showed up twice in our text, didn't it? We would not be doing the text justice if we didn't deal with the word Fellowship. It means to have in common. It means that you know that we that we're going in the same direction. We're in a partnership here. Oneness. Oneness. You ought to come to church and experience a, a tremendous measure of oneness. Amen. Now, where you've been all day working in the world, and amongst people of the world that don't love God, don't know God, don't want to serve God, then it's no wonder that we're not going to experience oneness out there in the world. But when you come in here, you ought to experience oneness with one another. Does everybody listen to this? Oneness and fellowship. Okay, so John wrote to them. He says, I'm writing this to you. I've declared this unto you that you may have fellowship with us. Fellowship, relationship uh, with us. So evidently, this fellowship, this commonality, this common bond, Um, this unity, this oneness was under some form of attack in the days of John. You follow me? That's why he's bringing it up in the very beginning. In fact, normally in one of the letters of the New Testament, you have the sender and then the recipient and then the Thanksgiving section. you're, You're familiar with that uh paul a servant of jesus christ to the thessalonians grace and peace be multiplied you know i mean that's kind of how it goes we thank god upon every remembrance of you well john just says that which was from the beginning it's kind of like his gospel in the beginning was the word and the word was with god and the word listen to this and the word was god that's how he started the gospel here he says that which was from the beginning that's what that which we have that which we, have, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes. Which we have looked upon and our hands have handled. You say, I'm not blessed yet. Hang on, think about what he's saying. I heard is. As Brother Jonathan, I mentioned to you that he spoke to us about Hinduism and and they had their gods, they had their goddesses, they had their stories and they had their storytellers that talk about how this God became human and that God became human and, and this did that and that did this. I mean, all kinds of confusion. Can you imagine? 330 million stories? And yet, hang on just a minute, and yet no eyewitness accounts. Zero. Zero eyewitness accounts of these gods and goddesses. You say, well, how do we know that Islam's not right? How do we know that Hinduism is not right? How do we know that Buddhism is not right? There's no eyewitness account of a resurrected God. But here John says, that which we have heard, that which was from the beginning, which we heard, which we've seen, which we looked upon, which we touched. Hey, listen, you have not believed a fable. There's some here that have just recently have been saved. I mean, with even the last few weeks, they've trusted Jesus as their Savior. Listen, you've not, you've not trusted some religious leader that just kind of showed up on the scene and declared that he was a religious leader and his bones are decaying in the grave. No, listen, my friend. John said, we saw him after he was dead. We touched him. We heard him after he was dead. After he was dead. Are you listening to this tonight? Hes saying, listen, listen listen, and evidently what they were believing or what was being fed to them was causing them to think otherwise. In fact, there was, there was these influences in their day and time that was denying that Jesus, the Messiah, the Christ, came in the flesh. Well, if he didn't come in the flesh, he couldn't have died on the cross. The ramifications of this are staggering. They were denying that he was God. They were denying that he was man. Hey, I'm here to tell you tonight on the authority of the word of God, and I know you know this, but listen, it doesn't hurt us. In fact, we need to hear it often that he was 100% God and 100% man all at the same time, all at the same time. There never was a time that he wasn't God. There never was a time that he wasn't. I said there never was a time that he was not. He always has been. They had a crisis going on though. They had a crisis, a, a twofold crisis. They had a crisis in this area. They had a crisis in doctrine. There was a crisis, a doctrinal crisis. Hey, I, I know, I know that you know many of these things, but please let me say them a hundred times over. Doctrine matters. Truth matters today. The Bible and Bible doctrine matters. It's not, you know, it's not, well, just let everybody believe kind of what they want to believe and just let them go on their merry old way and they'll go to hell believing a bunch of lies. No, doctrine matters, friend. It does make a difference what you believe and they are in the midst of this doctrinal crisis. Well, I heard uh, just yesterday as Brother J.D. Weedow was preaching, he preached out of the book of Amos about a famine that has come to the land, not a famine of bread and not a famine of water, but a famine of the word of God. He said in Amos, the the country preacher, I'm talking about Brother J.D. Weedow that you'll hear in about three weeks from now. The country preacher talked about a country preacher. J.D. Weedow, if you don't know, he's from Arkansas. He's a country preacher. And he's talking about Amos, a country preacher in the Bible who said there's coming a day that people are gonna look for the word of God and they won't be able to find it. You know why they couldn't find it? Because they didn't want it. You've traveled around even the United States of America, and you've been on vacation, and you've tried to find a Bible preaching church. You probably had a hard time. You probably had a hard time. Why? Because there's a famine even in our land. There's a, there's a, there's ignorance in our land. There's a lack of Bible knowledge in our land. I remember uh, driving a bus uh, here a few years ago for a v- vacation Bible school, and uh, we were waiting for a, a child. You know, they're always uh, well. You're always waiting for them to find their shoes. They have no idea where they last left them, right? And so they're trying to find their shoes. So I was just trying to entertain some of the kids that were right there. And I, I asked them, who was the first man that God put on the earth? One of the, some of the kids said, Adam. They had it right. Who built the ark? I almost said Moses. Noah. <laughs> but then I asked them this. Now, who was Sarah's husband? Who who was Sarah in the Bible? Who was Sarah's husband? Silence. And then finally this kid raised his hand and said, Daryl? <laughs> <laughs> no, it wasn't, Br- wasn't Daryl. <laughs> Abraham. Well, I mean, that's a little kid. But you, you realize, I mean, there's a lot of people growing up in America that are biblically illiterate. That they don't know their Bibles and that partly they don't know their Bibles, of course because they're not in church, or they're going to a church where the Bible's never taught. It's never open. They have a 45 minute song service and then a 10 minute little sermonette. And even the songs that they sing are watered down and just milk toast. I mean, just weak stuff. No, listen, we need to sing about the greatness and the majesty of God and, and be in the Bible daily and be in the Bible weekly and, and just try to go verse by verse, line by line and explain what God has said so that we're not biblically illiterate. So there's a danger, there's a crisis of that. But there's also this crisis, confused doctrine. There could be no doctrine because they don't know what they believe, but there could also be this, a pulling away, a luring away from what you were taught about Jesus, what you were taught about the Bible, what you were taught about Baptist baptism, what you were taught about the fundamentals of the faith, dear friend. You could be lured away, swayed by intellectuals intellectuals that would deny the deity of Jesus Christ, the intellectuals that would deny that his blood still saves, intellectuals that would deny that he died for all I men. I mean, there's all kinds of false doctrine out there and you could be swayed and we could be swayed if we don't know the truth. And That's what was happening here is they were being swayed and some that weren't, listen, chapter two and verse 19 tells us that there were some that were with them, but they left them because they never were with them you follow that? He, he, did you follow that? He's saying this, some have left. And, and what the problem was this, it's not just that they left. By the way, anytime somebody, to, that somebody leaves, we ought to pray that God would bring them back into the fold and bring them back to the truth. But here was a major problem. Not only had they left, but they were making an effort to try to get more people out of the church and they were denying the humanity of Jesus Christ. And and all you got to do, I mean, this letter was written in the latter years of John, and and it was probably circulated among some of the churches of Asia, among some of the churches of Asia Minor. And so all you got to do is just read Revelation chapter 2 and chapter number 3, and you would see some of the religious confusion that was going on in that day and time. Doctrines of the Nicolaitans that were saying that there were powerful people and the rest of the people were just underlings. And there's all kinds of false doctrine that was going around. And there were seeds of Gnosticism, which was, which was mixing Christian, Christian uh, terminology with unchristian beliefs and practices. Here's the danger. Are you listening to me here tonight? There, here's the danger of false doctrine. It's got an element of truth in it. Rat poison has some good stuff in it, but it's got poison in it. There's a danger in, in cults. There's a danger in false doctrine because it's got a little sliver of truth. But they were denying that he was 100% man, and they were denying the effectual part of his atonement, and, and they were trying to spread their lies, and, and they were trying to get new, new, uh, these people to follow them rather than the apostles. Here was their question that they were faced with Should they follow the old teachers or follow the new teachers? Well, there's a lot of that going on today. Who should you follow? No, no, come on. I, I, we've got to make some application along the way to where we're living because you, you may not be in a place where somebody's going to try to sway you away from, from believing that Jesus came in the flesh, but you'll have somebody that will tell you that this is not the Word of God. And you have somebody that'll tell you that Baptist distinctives don't really matter. I mean, it's not that big of a deal to be a Baptist. Why, why y'all been out of shape about being a Baptist? <laughs> hmm. and, and there'll be all kinds of people that'll try to sway you away. And, and then this, then this, please listen to this right here. Some of you have grown up in church. Some of you have been in church a long time, but you work with people that are not in church. And it's probably hard for you to get here on this Wednesday night because be honest, you're tired and tired and just ready to go home. And then there's this pool of the world that really you'd kind of like to be there if you could. I'm going to encourage you tonight, don't forsake the fellowship that lasts forever. That lasts forever. Don't get out of church. Don't don't get away from God. Don't say, well, when I turn a certain age, I mean, I've been raised in church all my life. Hey, you ought to thank God you've been raised in a Bible preaching church all your life. Don't you listen to some some guy or some girl that's going to draw you away, get you out of church, get you away from serving God and, and wreck your life? You've known them for three weeks? You've known them for a month, two months, six months, ten, 10 months, whatever. But listen, you've got parents that have raised you since you were a baby to live for God. And, and you've been in this church a long time and you know you know in the depths of your soul, you know the truth. But there's a persuasiveness about the worldliness. There's a persuasiveness about, about false ways of thinking. Listen to, are you, uh, listen to this. Now you gotta get this. There there are ways of thinking that can lure you away without changing your Doctrinal system, but in the basements of your mind, it could change your values. And the next thing you know, you think church is not really that important, that Bible's not really important, and that preacher's not always right. And on down the line, you go in your mind listen, you better think about it right now about where you're headed. And I just want to encourage you here tonight don't forsake what's eternal. Thank you. Should they follow the old teachers or the new teachers? You know, hey, wait a minute, wait a minute. This is a good place to say this. There should not be any conflict between what has been taught and what is being taught. There shouldn't be any conflict right there. There should not be any conflict between what has been taught and what is being taught. There really should not. There, there should not. Now, I realize, you know, we're going to make some changes along the way, and, but not about doctrine, not about biblical practices. Are you following me right here? There's room to say, okay, let's let's do this, let's do that, that's new, or let's tweak this, let's tweak that. I I mean, uh, are you following what I'm saying? There's a place for that. There's a biblical philosophy of even change. But wait a minute, here's the point I'm most trying to make. What has been taught should not be in conflict with what is being taught. In fact, if I were going to teach you something other than what has been taught from this pulpit, the ethical thing for me to do would be to resign and go start another church or join some other church that believes like I'm trying to sway a church. I think there's a... I think, am I throwing this at you too fast? Are you, are you comprehending this? I mean, this is kind of a high rate of speed and speech, but, but there's been a lot of churches that have been hijacked by young guys that come in and then they start to teach Calvinism or they start to teach, you know, that that's not really the word of God, but you can kind of believe this if you want to. And they came into that church... They came into that church under the, either under the guise or they were upfront and saying, no, I believe the King James Bible is the Bible, is the Word of God, it's been preserved. Or they've come in believing this or believing that, but somewhere they changed. Here's the ethical thing to do. Leave. Go somewhere else. Don't mess up a church. Don't mess up a church. I've seen it happen way too many. Too many times that there's people that have given their whole lives, serving there, giving there, and the silver-headed saints, they feel the door hit them on the way out. Some guy that's enamored with the ecumenical movement or enamored with the CCM or the contemporary Christian music movement and, 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 and just into all kinds of other stuff begins to slightly change the church to his own liking, liking rather than what he found right here in the word. That's not right. It's just not right. It's not ethical. It's not right. 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 Yeah. In case you didn't get that, it's not right. It's not right. What has been taught from the Bible ought to be taught from the Bible. What has been taught about the Bible ought to be taught about the Bible. What has been applied ought to be applied. There ought to be this continuity. So John addressed it. So they had a doctrinal crisis that was going on. Number two, they had this. They had a moral crisis that was going on. You mark it down, friend. Anytime there is a doctrinal crisis, not too long from there, there's gonna be a moral crisis. And that could go a hundred different ways, I realize that. But here's what had happened over time. They had developed this mentality that sin was not a real serious deal. They kind of got in their mind, hey, look, 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 look. We can have fellowship with God, and he's not really that concerned about our particular behaviors. God doesn't really care. Here's what's happening. We're going to get into it. They were saying that they were walking in light, but there's a lot of darkness in their life. God doesn't really care what, how I live. God doesn't really care that maybe I'm looking at some things. I, oh, hey, listen, he does care, friend. God doesn't really care what music I'm listening to. God doesn't really care what I'm wearing. God doesn't really care what I post online on my social media. Oh, yes, he cares, friend. So you've got a wrong mentality there. You think you can, you can say, well, I walk in the light or I love the brothers. Well, all the time what you're doing is you're creating a moral crisis that's generating confusion right here. Because you say one thing, but you live another way. I'm just simply saying to you that the way that you live Monday through Tuesday ought to be the way that you're living on Wednesday and then Thursday and Friday and Saturday and Sunday. If there's another day in the week, you ought to live that way for God then too. It's not just how you are on Sunday. It's how you are on Saturday. That means there's places you ought not go, things you ought not do. If you name the name of Christ. Well, obviously this this had an impact on their fellowship. It robbed them of their joy. And I'll tell you another thing it did. It caused some strife and contention. Contention is a bad fuel for love. And so now because of this, because they were kind of going with those teachers, then it caused a split within the church, and they were having a hard time loving one another. And that's why he emphasizes love so much. It's not just a book about love. It's a book about doctrine. It's a book about separation, personal holiness. And thus, it's a book about love. All right, that was the introduction. And so that's why John just starts it off in the, we might call it the preface. Sometimes you'll see it as the prologue or you'll see it as the, as, as you know, the fore to the, to his book. I mean, he skips the typical greeting and he says that which was from the beginning, he's eternal. That's what he's saying. He's eternal. And we saw him. I just put those two together. Because scripture did. He's eternal. He is human. Boom. That'll blow your mind. Right? Like welded together. What a union of deity and humanity all in one and perfect deity, perfect humanity. Trevor is still riding along. Trenton is still riding along. I got a little paper clip. They know about it. And I'm telling you about it right now. There's a little paper clip that's been riding along in my Tacoma for about three or four years now. It's on the, on the, on the plate. What do you call that? You step in it to get in the truck. It's on a little, little place there. And it's situated just right so that the wind's not catching it. And it's just riding there. And it's been there for at least four years. It's rusted. It's weak and frail. That's coma is strong and mighty. <laughs> Come on, go with the illustration here, would you please? <laughs> I'm trying to say, listen, his perfect humanity. No, wait a minute. We need to understand this. His frail, flimsy humanity. And I'm not, I'm not speaking ill of him because he got tired. He got sleepy. He got hungry. That's humanity. That's us. He was 100% man. He's like, it's like that frail paperclip riding on that mighty truck. He's the God man. Do you follow the analogy? That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen, which we have looked upon, our hands have handled. Do you see what he's doing right off the bat? He's saying, listen, they're telling you that he didn't really become flesh, but we saw him, we touched him, we heard him. He's dealing with a whole bunch of false doctrine just right off the bat. Well, that's the way to confront it, just right head on. That's what he did. And then he says this, that we have handled the word of life. That means this, he's the word that gives life. He's the word that gives eternal life. What kind of life do you think John's talking about here? He's talking about eternal life. This is life eternal this is the record that God has given to us eternal life. All these verses, we'll take time for it along the way in this, in this uh, series in, in 1 John. We'll see that he gives unto us eternal life and this life is in his son. So look at it again. That he, we have handled, John says, of the word of life. Why does he call him a word? Why? Because it's God expressed to man. The word of life for the life was manifested and we've seen it and we bear witness and we've shown to you that eternal life, which was with the Father. It's obvious here that when he talks about what we have heard, we have seen, and we have touched, he's not talking about the gospel. He's talking about Jesus Christ because they didn't see the gospel. They heard the gospel, but they didn't touch the gospel. They saw Jesus. They heard Jesus. They touched Jesus. Jesus is the Word. That's what he's saying. The Word, John says, in John 1, in chapter chapter number 1, in verse number 14, the Word, the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we held His glory as the only begotten of the Father. The Word, Jesus, became flesh. By the way, there never was a time He wasn't the Son. He's always been the son of God. You say, well, I thought he became the baby and the son of God when he was born in Bethlehem. Before Abraham was, he said, I am. Well, Abraham, not Daryl, Abraham lived a long time ago, long time before Jesus was on the scene. And Jesus said, you know what? I'm before Abraham. (laughs) They said, how could you be before Abraham? Before Abraham was, I am. How long you been? I have been. How far back? Yes. Okay, uh, the word of life, which that life was manifested, that speaks of His humanity. So we got a mix going on here. We got we are you following what it is? It is a, a it is a one hundred percent man, one hundred percent God mixed together. The life was manifested, and we we've seen it. We've seen what we've seen the life. Okay, here's what here's what he's doing. He is referring to Jesus as eternal life. That's what he's doing. You know why? Because he's the one that gives it. And he's the one that's eternal. Well, Jesus himself said, didn't he? In John chapter 14 and verse number 6, I am the way, the truth, and what? The life. the life. No man cometh to the Father but by me, but by Jesus. He is the life. Look at verse number 2, would you please? The life was manifested, for we have seen it. We've seen the life. We've seen Jesus. It's synonymous ideas here. We've, the life was manifested. Who was manifested? Now wait a minute, who was manifested? Jesus was manifested. So he's referring to Jesus as the life. We have seen it and bear witness and shown to you that eternal life. There it is again, that eternal life. Notice this please. Notice the the relative pronoun which. Which was with the Father. What was with the Father? The eternal life was with the Father. Who's the eternal life? Jesus is the eternal life. And he was with the Father. How long? Forever. That also demonstrates that he was distinct from the Father. They are one in essence and distinct in persons. We're talking about the Trinity now. Man, I just feel like we've tapped into some electricity right here, and I've got to be real careful how we handle it, or I'm going to get shocked. You follow what I'm saying? I mean, this is a powerful, powerful three, four verses which was with the Father and was manifested unto us. There's His humanity again, His eternal. His eternal, please don't be bored with this. Please don't be bored with this because someday you're going to need the Ancient of Days to tell you what to do. Someday you're going to have a need in your life and a problem in your life and you're not going to need just some other person. You're going to need the Eternal One, the Lord Jesus Christ, to be at your side. He was with the Father, that's His eternality. But He was manifested unto us, that's His humanity. That, we, that which we have seen and heard, again, he goes back to that eyewitness account, that is what we declare, we preach, that's what we told you. Don't listen to the phony balonies. Don't listen to these yahoos. Don't listen to these people that try to pull you away from that which is eternal. Don't, don't, oh, no, please listen. Don't listen to those that try to pull you away from the one who loves you the most. Hello, that you may have fellowship with us. And truly, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son. Hey, listen, you are in good company. Who's our fellowship with? By believing the eyewitnesses, eyewitness accounts, plural, plural, the eyewitness accounts, both from a multiplicity of eyewitnesses and multiple situations that they saw. We are in fellowship with men like this, Peter, James, John, Thomas, and all the other disciples, plus 500 more. We're in good fellowship right here. Yeah, but you know, Dr. So-and-so says, forsake the phonies, forsake the fools, follow that which has proven faithful. So we're in fellowship with the apostles. But also, would you notice who else we're in fellowship with? We are in fellowship with the Father and with His Son. That means this. If you're saved, you're in the Father's hands. That means you're with Him. Nothing changes, ever changes. He eternally saved you. That's another theme of the book. Because they were causing them to begin to doubt their salvation. I'm knocking on the door of anybody that went to sleep right here. You can't go to sleep on this. No, 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 no. You got you to get this right here. Yep. He says uh, in verse number three, continued on, verse number four rather. And these things write we unto you that your joy may be full. That's basically saying this, that if you forsake this, you won't have joy. You have moments of happiness and moments of hilarity. But you will not have deep and abiding joy if you forsake that which is forever for that which is temporary. There's pleasure in sin for a season. But there's joy in heaven forever. Which do you want? I mean, this is really no brainer. Do you want forever joy and that you can enjoy right now? Or do you want just a little sliver of, woo-hoo, Merk, that was it? One little fling? One little click? One little post? One little night? One little week? One little month? One little live? Hey, wait, wait, wait a minute, wait a minute. Get, get a big perspective here. How long you want to be happy? Here's what we're seeing in the first four verses and we're done. Amidst the doctrinal and moral confusion, John reminded his readers that the basis of their fellowship was fellowship with the risen Lord. Amidst all the doctrinal confusion and amidst all the moral chaos, here's where the basis of fellowship is. Fellowship with the risen Lord. So if you're in fellowship with the risen Lord, We ought to be in fellowship with one another because the risen Lord will have us all on the same page. That's not believing a cult. That's not being brainwashed. That's this. I'm believing the eternal preserved word of God and it's lining my life up a certain way and it's lining my doctrine up a certain way. And what that does is that lines me right up with Ed Pearson that I was with yesterday. And that lined me right up with a man named Curtis Hall that I just met yesterday. And I didn't know him a long time, but he believes the book. And he's trying to live for God. He's trying to get the gospel to the, to the 1040. He's trying to get it to the people of Thailand. I mean, I don't know him real well, but it seems like he's doctrinally straight and he's got moral, moral purity about him. Here's what I'm saying. When we're in fellowship with him, he puts us in fellowship with really good people. Not because they're good, but because he's good. And he changed their life so that it would be good. Sure beats the surface, friends, you'll find online. Sure beats the flaky people. Sure beats those that'll fly by night here for your friend for a little while, but then when you don't have money, they're gone. How about one that'll never leave you nor forsake you? How about one that'll never change? How about one that was same yesterday, today, and forever? Boy, I'd like to meet somebody like that that was always the same. I've met people and they were like, well, this way one time and then another way another time. How about you meet Jesus? And he's never been different than what he is. Don't leave. Don't forsake the fellowship. Don't forsake the fellowship of those who have taught you to be faithful to Jesus. Don't forsake the fellowship. You say, well, see, it's all about the fellowship. No, 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 no. It's not about the fellowship. I mean, the fellowship is very important, it's biblical. Don't forsake the fellowship of this local church. And we would be wrong if we focused just there, but here's where we focus, Him. He keeps us together. Don't forsake the fellowship, the safety, the fellowship of those who have taught you to love Jesus. Thank you, dear God. And I pray that no matter who or what might try to lure believers away that they would not forsake our savior for anyone or anything there are doctrinal winds that are blowing there is immorality that is abounding there's an entertainment basis even in our midst god we pray you'd help us to focus on you the one who's eternal to never forsake you And thus to be bound to one another in a true fellowship that's not based on anything other than doctrine and a commitment to purity in life that reflects who you are. Dear God, please help us now, I pray. Bring us to repentance where we've not been thinking right. I pray, God, that you are using this message to stop some in their very tracks that would keep them from going away from you. We're tempted every day. I think every one of us, if we're honest, I know I would confess to that before you, just that there's a temptation to forsake all this because it's tough and it's hard and there's difficult things to deal with. But God, I'm thankful that even when we are fickle that you're not. God, thank you for your faithfulness. And every one of us face a temptation along the way so grateful to you, dear God, for your faithfulness. Now help us to be faithful to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together here tonight. God has spoke to your heart. You ought to hit this altar and spend some time with Him. Would you come no matter where you are, no matter either in the auditorium or no matter where you are in life, if God has just convicted you right here, stopped you in your tracks to say, listen, you need to listen to this because the trajectory of your life is not headed to things eternal, then you need to... You need to repent like the Bible says and get some things right with the Lord. Would you do that tonight?